Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I got a full night's sleep, and I'm here with George Mays. (laughs) Y'all in trouble today, buddy. Well, that's good. (laughs) It's Text Driven Tuesday, Okay. full night's sleep, and coffee. You had a little bit of a fiasco there with that coffee. I did. This I got morning. A, I had a malfunction on the I, Keurig, I, and I got a I got a mouthful of hot sand. I kind of wish that we'd been recording when you took uh-huh. that first sip. Mm. Got a mouthful. It's we're like, we're it's in like the middle. The, of, we're in the middle of talking, and I look over, and you're like spitting into your cup. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, are you okay? Yeah, it was a surprise. Yeah, very nice. Well, here. <laughs> We're here for Text Driven Tuesday on one that may not be safe to drive your vehicle and listen to, as we're talking about the third warning passage in Hebrews, the one that makes people do hermeneutical gymnastics, both Arminian and Calvinist. Yeah, this is this is a tough one. Yeah. This is a tough one. This this is the one that I knew <laughs> we're gonna get to it when I when I said I was gonna do Hebrews. This is kind of what was in the back of my mind the entire time. Now, I'm just wondering, George, how many people now think you're an Arminian? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, I was was joking. I was joking the day before that anyone that got up and walked out in the middle of the sermon, they might think that I was a four-point Calvinist that got rid of the the perseverance of the saints. They didn't stay to the end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's a hard hard passage. It's a really hard passage. Well, and, and it's one that gets brought up. I know, I know I've counseled a lot of people that have come in asking, you know, how can I know I'm saved? They're, they're doubting, they're struggling. And this warning passage almost always gets brought up. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about it. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll be able to uh, come at this from a couple different angles, talk about different things, clarify some things for folks, <clears throat> and uh, let's get after it. Okay. So we'll have you read the passage. Okay. Warning passage number three. Right? And this is number three. This is number three. Yeah. yeah. Three down, two more to go. This comes on the heels. This may be helpful for as you get ready to read, starting in chapter six, verse four. This comes off of the he is exhorting them in strong terms in a in a way that to tell them they need to go on to maturity because they're babies. Yeah, so I was looking at this whole the whole section that I'm doing this this time around and I was trying to figure out all right how how can I fit all of this together? Exactly how am I supposed to wrap my brain around it? And um, the first 10 verses of chapter 5 is the issue of Christ and his his high priesthood. Mhm. 5:11 through 6:3 is the problem. So he he wants to teach them about Christ's high priesthood. There's a problem. They're too baby. They're baby like. They're they're immature. They're and, and it's not it's not just immaturity. It's the desire to stay immature. They don't yeah. want to grow. And so on the heels of that, that's not the warning itself. That's the problem. Yeah. The warning is verses four through um, eight, which is if you don't grow up. This is the danger that you are facing. Okay. And then the next two sections in, in chapter six <clears throat> will be kind of an encouragement. All right. This will be helpful. You read it, and then I want you to state your thesis up front. Okay. 
I can do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, are we starting in verse one, or we? You want to start uh, in verse can, four? You can start in uh, verse four. Just start in verse four. We'll okay. just narrow. We'll just narrow okay. it yep. in right I there. I can do it. All right. Uh, verse four, chapter six. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own shame and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. All right. It's a harsh. It's a harsh warning. It's it's mm-hmm. this this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's um. Uh, I don't think that we have to come and say this is really easy for you to wrap your brain around. I think we can all acknowledge this is a hard passage. Yeah. But I, I think that it's one that we can work through, and I, I think that we can come to a, if not a completely trouble-free interpretation. I think we can get to a clear one. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's clear, even in the context of, you couldn't fit it all in there, obviously. But if you continue um, through verse nine through twelve, I, mm-hmm. I think it makes it even more clear. I think so. So just in the context here of Hebrews, I think you can arrive at. <sighs> yeah, I, um, you know, I, I could have gone through verse twelve in the ESV does that the next mm-hmm. section break is is after verse 12 but i i wanted everyone to feel the weight of the warning passage yeah i i really i, I had the struggle against you you always want to throw in like these these caveats you want to throw in like um well we know right. this also mm-hmm. um and and those things are true uh, as we'll go through it, I think we'll see some of those, those other, those other passages that are coming in that influence right. what we're what we are understanding. But I think um, in order to really feel the full weight of the warning passage, we have to avoid bringing in all these other doctrines, these other ideas, because they're right. not they're not in this warning. Well, so here's what happens in this passage. So the the uh, the Calvinist, or the person who would affirm, even in the Baptist world, who who they'll say we're not Calvinists, we're not Arminians, we're nothing. Eh, like you're you're something, right? <laughs> Hate to break it to you, but they'll say we're a three point Calvinist or whatever. All Baptist, except for free will Baptist, <laughs> affirm, yeah, right. affirm, affirm. You know, once saved, always once saved, saved always saved. Eternal so, security. So right away they go, this passage can't mean this because I have this mountain of other verses right. that speak to eternal security. Right. The Armin- and it's, it's really easy to want to slip that into your interpretation of this warning. Right. And it's it's like pulling your punch. Right. Don't don't pull your punch because it's not he doesn't bring that out here. Um he doesn't Yes, right. of of course we interpret scripture in light of other scripture, yeah. but we need to look at the scripture you have to, in its own context. Yeah, you have to exhaust the, the context of what's going on here. Um which I think as we move through verse verse 
verse 9 does clear some of that up, verse right. 9 through 12. Yeah, but I, yeah. if we just stick with the warning, you want the warning to hit, mm-hmm. like you want the full impact of the warning. Right. The Arminian comes to this passage, and they completely ignore part of it. <laughs> Because I've never met an Arminian that thought that uh, you know if you if you fell away, that it was impossible to come. Yeah, back. you can come back, right? Because it's always like, <laughs> right? No matter what happens in life, like everyone can always return, right? So you can lose your salvation, right. gain, gain it back. So they would they would ignore the warning also. Yeah, just in a different way, and and they would ignore the mountains of other verses mm-hmm. um, that speak to eternal security. That's right. That's right. So, okay, tell us your thesis up front. All right. So this, I, and, I, and and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to call it a thesis. Let's let's come up with a better. All right. So, please, okay. Please uh, state the what you believe is the theme of this text. Okay. Um, it is strive for maturity, oh. because a shallow, immature, and careless faith is a faith that is always in danger of falling away. Okay. And if you deliberately apostatize, it will be impossible to restore you again to repentance. Mm. Okay. And so I, th- I think that's I think that's what the text says. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I as I was working through this, I was talking with uh, I was talking with Philip, and he said maybe you guys could talk about why people struggle with this this passage what is it that's so difficult about it and i think the difficulty for a lot of people is that i think it's pretty clear mm-hmm. and i think that's what i think people read it and it seems clear in what it's saying and they don't know what to do with it mm-hmm. um the the uh, the interpretation was not the difficult part of this sermon i think that the interpretation you just you just look at what it says, and I think it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. But then you you think, well, this seems to contradict other places in the scripture. This seems to be in conflict. What do I do with this? Right. And so I think that's where people start to try to um, change it a little bit to make it a little more cohesive with other. Right. Other passages of scripture, right, right, I think. Right. Now, I, I could be wrong, uh-huh. um, but that that seems to be what what would be the biggest problem. Because as I was reading it, it seems pretty straightforward. Uh huh. Yeah. No, it does. Um, I don't. Again, I don't want to like lessen the blow, but. Well, I, we can talk about it as we move through it. I think moving through the questions will be good, um, and that will be helpful, and we'll just deal with them as they come up. But I think people struggle with it because, you know, people in our circles, they affirm perseverance of the saints. Right. And that none of Christ will be lost. And like that, so that's the, kind of the way I frame my understanding of that doctrine. It's not even necessarily about you. It's mm-hmm. about Christ and what he did. Yeah. Is I believe Christ died for people, uh, specifically, right? Indiv- individually, yeah. Even and I believe it much more so after preaching through the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Like I believe He knew your name. Um, like He knows His sheep. 
we know him, we hear his voice, he calls us, we follow him. Very specific stuff, right? Like I, I and I believe all of this was settled before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. We can link that to John's other writings. Yeah. That's kind of like how I like to exhaust the writings of an author and then expand from the Bible from there. It becomes very clear that from the foundation of the world, Christ had a people that he was dying for. Right. And uh, and he won't lose any of them. Yeah. I think that is 100% a slam dunk. Yeah. And then you run into this passage. Right. Yeah, I think that's good to to just up front, and I didn't do this in the sermon because I don't. I didn't want it to, I, I wanted the punch to be there. Right. Like I, I wanted people to feel that blow. Um, but yes, we, we affirm that um, those who Christ has died for, those, those the Father has elected and Christ has died for, the Spirit will regenerate and will keep them to the end. Right. Uh, but then you come to this. It's impossible to restore them to repentance. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> the function of a warning, though, let, let's say... Um, Okay, I, this y'all might think I'm weird, but because this is Jay parenting, right? And I know I'm a little. And this is this is Jay unorthodox with a full full night's sleep. All right, yeah, yeah. So you know, I got I, you know, I've got a I've got a like a big I got I got another alpha in the house, right? He's a he's a great athlete, phenomenally athlete, strong, strong willed kid, always has been. I there is not a chance in a million years. That he would ever hit his mother. But what do you think I told him when he was going through puberty? If he ever pushed or yelled at his mother mm-hmm. or did anything I perceived as a threat to her, mm-hmm. he's going to get his world rocked. Mm-hmm. That's 100% true. Right. But I know it's never going to happen. Yeah. Right? And the warning serves a function because he gets to look in your eyes and say, <laughs> right. all right, um, I'm yeah. not even going to disrespect this woman. Yeah, I'm going to treat her with respect. Uh, that's that's a... Uh, there's other things in the world that function like that, though. I mean, you... I, wanna, I don't want to use the Spurgeon one yet because it's so brilliant. Save it to the end because it's so, it's so great. But there are other things in life like that, right? Like... And this is how the, the, the warnings the warnings work. Um, I think you brought up one before. It was like, um, was it bleach or something? Like yeah. If you drink this bleach, yeah. There's a warning on the <laughs> on the label, right? If right. you if you drink this, you're gonna die. You could you could uh, experience um, irreparable harm. Yeah, included yeah. death, including death. So what do you right? do when you read it? <laughs> Right. You go, uh, not going to drink it. Yeah. All right. This this is simple enough that we could use it with my kids yesterday when we were talking about the sermon. There are warnings. You need to pay attention to the warnings. The, the warnings are true, though, right? I mean, they're there. Right. Yeah. If you, If you drink the bleach, it's not hypothetical. If you drink this bleach, you will be harmed. Mm-hmm. So here's what's interesting to think about as we think about how does... Because, again, the perseverance of the saints we need to think of as being a Godward thing. How does he keep his own in a world full of dangers, right. in a world full of things that can distract us, could pull us away, to cause us to doubt, to stumble, to fall, to sin, yeah. and even a world that could present us with the, with the possibility of leaving the faith? Yeah. How in this world... 
does because because he doesn't override our will. This this will cause come as a shock to people <laughs> who think Calvinists are like uh, think that God makes us into robots. Uh, we don't believe that. We believe he uses means in the world with right. people who I, who make decisions. Yeah, this is one of the ways. Yeah, I think that this is this is where we're going to make a distinction between the once saved, always saved Southern Baptist mm-hmm. crowd mm-hmm. and the reform position of perseverance of the saints. Right. So we both would affirm eternal salvation, but the once saved, always saved crowd can easily fall into a, um, a false comfort when someone professes faith in Christ and then disappears when they, they stop attending church, mm-hmm. especially with, with parents and their kids. Yeah. My kid professed faith, faith in Christ when he was you know, nine. He grew up and he went to college and... I think he's going to church somewhere, or he's Uh. spotty, or you know what I'm saying? Uh But we know, like, he made that decision, Uh and once saved, always saved. Right. Right. So this this position, the reform position, is, yes, those who are truly born again, those, those who truly are trusting in Christ, can never finally fall away and lose Uh their salvation. They will be kept to the end. But like you said, God uses means to cause us to persevere. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, it's not as if you can just say this magical prayer and the pastor you know, um, pronounces you saved. And the warnings yeah. of Hebrews don't apply to you anymore. Yeah, Magic. And, and it doesn't matter how you live. Yeah. The warning passages are a stark reminder that in order for you to not fall away, you have to cling to Christ. And the comfort is that as you're clinging to Christ, Christ is clinging to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's the ultimate um, reason why you don't fall away. Right. And that's so that's what this warning passage is. It, it, I was talking to Larry um, earlier, and we were talking about how this is all through the Bible, this divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, God, salvation belongs to the Lord. Right. It's God's prerogative. We still have to go out and evangelize, and people still have to put their trust in Christ. God knows everything that we need before we pray. We're still supposed to persevere right. in prayer. Uh-huh. Right? We're supposed. God is the one who will complete the work in us, uh-huh. but we're still supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah, and strive, exertion, striving, right. mm-hmm. persevere, like pushing yourself. Right. These are all the la- the language that is used. Yeah. It's active. It's an active. This is an active pursuit. So God, God will keep you. This is clear across the New Testament. But what is equally equally clear is that you have to, in a sense, keep yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you see. You see that in the book of Jude. Jude's got what twenty eight verses. The beginning of the book, um, Jude says that you're kept for Jesus. Towards the end, he says, um, "Keep yourself in the love of God." Mm-hmm. So you're kept, but you have to keep yourself. But then he ends with that great doxology, now to him who is able to keep you. So right. it's you're in between the sandwich of God's sovereignty and keeping you uh-huh. is this this command mm-hmm. to keep yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, We'll talk more about it um, as we move through, but 
we'll start with question one. You have you have these different questions that you're asking of the text. I believe five questions. Yeah, I thought, seven observations. I, I thought this would be the best way to do it, just because it's such a hard passage to just walk through it in question and answer form to just show from the text what it's saying. I think that's a good way to preach in general. Yeah, when you come to some passages, they lend themselves to this type of thing because mm-hmm. the because then the people that are listening are discovering it. They're like discovering it with you as you work through it. Right. So the first question you ask is, who is he addressing? And right. there are five descriptors. That um, and if you were looking at the video, I had them highlighted. Mm-hmm. I'd highlighted these descriptors. Yeah. So first, once enlightened. Mm-hmm. So these are he's addressing people who were once enlightened, which uh, <laughs> it seems very well. You, he uses the same word over yeah. in chapter ten, verse thirty-two, and he tells them um, if I can get my pages to turn. He says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, uh-huh. what is this What is this action that was done to you? Mm-hmm. Um, the word enlightened, it's, uh, the, the root word is light. Right. When, when you saw the light. Right. Okay. Yeah. Who's, who's, <laughs> who does right. that sound like? Yeah. Right. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's tasted of the heavenly gift. And I... Th- I like thinking of this as as you mentioned one option. I think it's the best option personally. That this is a reference to Christ, tasted of the heavenly gift. He's the heavenly gift. It corresponds very nicely with what Jesus says about himself. Yeah. And John chapter 6, where they're like give us more food to eat mm-hmm. and he's like um I just gave you food and they're like well Moses gave us manna and he's like it wasn't Moses. Mm-hmm. Moses didn't give you manna. And then he says, and my father gives you the true bread. Mm. And then he gets into this whole deal about whoever appropriate eats him. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's clear, not talking about the Eucharist. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's equating <laughs> right. himself to the food right. that the father gives from heaven. He's mm-hmm. the true food. Yeah. You eat of him, you'll live forever. Yeah. Whoever has tasted of the heavenly gift. Yeah. Sounds a lot like manna, sounds a lot like Jesus in John 6. Which would fit with. The, the last warning we looked at in, in 3 and 4, which is talking about the wilderness generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then shared in the Holy Spirit. I, d- I think that's pretty clear that we believe that uh, regeneration comes only via the Holy Spirit. So if you've tasted of the Spirit... Yeah, um, then Thomas are... Schreiner's commentary, he says something along the lines of, this is the most clear statement of who he's talking about. about? Yeah. Uh-huh. Those who have shared in the Holy Spirit. Right. It's a new covenant promise. Right. right? So that's—you can probably see where it's going, right? Um, and the gifts of the Word of God, is that the— Taste it, taste it of, of the, the goodness, word, goodness of the Word of, word of God. God. Mm-hmm. And then five, the power of the age to come. Yeah, uh, tasted pulls double duty. Mm-hmm. There with those descriptions. They've mm-hmm. tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and they've tasted the powers of mm-hmm. the age to come. Right. Yeah. So experience something of the new creation now. Right. Which is a description that we often, has often used of Christians. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's clear. Like, who is he addressing? It's pretty obvious he's talking to Christians. That's a pretty clear indication that he's talking to Christians. Okay. It, it would be hard to imagine that he's talking to anybody else other than Christians. 
maybe maybe if it if he just used one of those descriptions maybe but when they pile up like that it seems like he's emphasizing the fact that you are the people i'm talking to uh-huh. you, you are the christians you're the believers and um these all apply to you so this warning is to them yeah that that seems to be the case but another uh, i think another um argument for that is what he's calling them to do uh-huh. the problem is that they're immature he doesn't call for them to be converted he calls for them to press on to maturity uh-huh. so he's not saying you're not believers you need to trust in christ he is saying you are believers by this time you ought to be teachers you need to grow into maturity you need to grow up uh-huh. um that that seems to be a, a an indicator that he's talking to uh, he's assuming that they're believers uh-huh. okay all right, so he's talking to believers. Now, second question is, what is he warning against them doing? Um, That's super easy to see. Yeah. I mean, it's it's right there. Yeah. Fall away. Uh-huh. He's warning them against falling away. Yeah. Okay. Now um, that... that now that's that's going to bring you, up... That's going to bring up questions. Can a Christian fall away? Well, you... But you, we're going we're gonna to keep... Read it. Read it by taking the descriptors out. Right. So there's no break in the sentence. Yeah. And then that makes it really clear as to what he's talking about. Yeah, Can you do that? It's impossible in the case of, of these people um, who have then fallen away to restore them again to repentance. What is what does that mean? Falling away? That's yeah. the question. Yeah. Does um, that mean they it, got naughty? <laughs> I mean <sighs> they were naughty for a time? Falling away is um there is a specific sin here. Okay. All right. So the problem I think a lot of people have when they're they're dealing with um, doubts about their salvation is they come in and they bring up this passage and they they want to ask, "Have I committed this?" Mm-hmm. And then they'll you know they'll they'll fill in the blank right. with some sin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not there's not that option here. Like he's got something very particular in mind. He's not he's not saying. It's it's just some random sin. Um, Tertullian, the early church father, he wanted to fill in the blank with um, adultery mm. and fornication. So it's impossible to restore to repentance Christians who have committed adultery. Must have got his heart broke. Um, there eh. there were some. There Come were, on, George, uh, you're missing my jokes. I'm sorry. Uh, there were some. There were some Christians that believed that this was um, post baptismal sins. So the the word enlightened came later later in church history to start to be synonymous with baptism. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that developed, but they would say that the person who'd been enlightened was the person who'd been baptized. And so based on that, this interpretation um, arose that it was post-baptismal sins. Mm. So it's impossible to restore someone who's a, who's been baptized and then they sin again in a like adultery or fornication. Mm-hmm. To restore them to repentance, mm. um, but again, falling away—it's you're you're trying to read this in the context of the book, and in the context of the book, he's already said in the first warning passage, "We got to pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it." Mm-hmm. Um, the second warning passage in chapter three says, "Take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God." It's a different Greek word, um, those two falling aways, but it's the same idea. This is a 
um, a turning away from the true faith. This is leaving Christ. Um, yeah. I mean, you can you can call it whatever you want, falling away, apostatizing. The the hip word nowadays is deconstructing. Um, Wonder why it, they it use all says the term the in English "fall away," because the term means to abandon former relationship or mm-hmm. association. It, it, here it uh, so in uh, in chapter three verse twelve it's the word for apostasy apostasy uh-huh. right. to fall away here it's uh, parapipto which is only used here in Hebrews uh-huh. um, it literally means to fall aside uh-huh. okay. so it's like you're walking on a path and you fall fall over the the side yeah and you're not on the path anymore mm. um, it's only used here and in the Septuagint in um, Ezekiel chapter 22. Right. And there, um, the Septuagint, the translation I have uh, translates as transgressed. Mm. Okay. Which it's it, in the context is dealing with apostate Israel. Mm-hmm. They've, they've, they've transgressed by going after idols. Um, but mm. it's it's falling aside. It's yeah. falling off the path. It's falling away from where you once were. Yeah, they're not getting back in. Yeah, um, Calvin. Impossible Calvin's... to restore them to defense. I was kind of, you know, you just said that kind of made me think of like when you're on a long road march in the army, and then you got these fat soldiers. They fall out. Yeah. They're not finishing a road march, man. <laughs> they're done. <laughs> like, like they're not gonna like by some type of a magic yelling of a uh, of their sergeant gonna gonna somehow like shed a hundred pounds and and get into shape and finish uh-huh. the road march. Like they're done. Yeah. Throw them in the back of the Humvee. Hmm. Like they're not finishing. <laughs> they yeah. fell out. Yeah. That's kind of the picture that came to my mind. Okay. It's impossible to make them finish. They literally can't do it. Yeah. You fall out, you're done. Yeah. So this this is um this is one particular sin. And it it's it is um a deliberate sin, I believe. Um, I don't. I don't think you can accidentally do this. I, I think that's that's a fear that a lot of people have right. that they're going to accidentally. I've sinned fall so away. far. I've sinned so bad this time. God could never forgive me. Right. Right. Uh, it's the same with. I've um, struggled with this this son this one sin. I keep struggling with it over and over and over. Yeah. I must not be a Christian. Right. That that's not it. That's uh, not it. It's the same with the uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, in the Gospels. People feel like they can accidentally do this. It, it, read the context. Right. Read the context of that. Read the context of this. It seems to be a deliberate action. Um, it, again, he's writing to professing believers who, because of their their uh, their trials and their persecution, are being tempted to go back to Old Testament sacrifices. Mm-hmm. This is not an accidental thing. Right. They're not going to wake up one day. Oops! I made an animal sacrifice. Right. right. <laughs> oh, what, I woke up. I'm at the temple. Yeah. <laughs> you you're going to deliberately do it now. Now, when I say deliberate, I don't mean today I'm a Christian, tomorrow I'm not. This can be a slow well, process. That, w- that was the warning before about drifting away. Yeah, it can be a slow process, but even in that slow process, it's deliberate. So mm-hmm. you you may slowly drift away um, because you don't get up on Sundays to go to church. You don't read your Bible. You're not around other Christians. And it may be a long process, but it's still deliberate. You don't accidentally mm-hmm. miss church for five years, yeah. Right. At some point, you may you may accidentally sleep in once, or the your alarm doesn't go off and you sleep in. But 
after a while, it's you're deliberately not trying to get up. That's some long sleep when church starts at ten thirty. I know. Yeah, I mean that you That's have to you sleep. have to deliberately like it's it's not a surprise that we meet on Sunday mornings at ten thirty. Mm. Mm-hmm. So if you are staying up till three o'clock, you know, Saturday night, that's deliberate. Yeah. Right. Um, even if it's a slow process to falling away, it's still deliberate. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you accidentally do. Right. And I think that's really important for people to understand. This this is something that you have to intentionally do. He's warning against full on leaving Christ. Leaving. Yeah. I'm done with Christ. I, uh, he's nothing to me anymore. Yeah. Than some man. Mm-hmm. It's not working on my iPad, but I sent it to you. Okay. Um, I came across this video of um, a guy who claimed to have once been a 1689 Reformed Baptist, Five Point Calvinist. All he checked all the all the same boxes that we would, mm-hmm. and he is leaving the faith. And I wanted to play this this clip. I mean, it's a longer video, but I I thought it would be good. For people to see, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about, we're not talking about an accidental thing. We're not talking about doubts and insecurities. This is this is kind of the this is the kind of thing we're talking about. Okay, what what where would you like me to start this video? Start at the beginning. The very beginning. Start at the beginning and go to about three minutes and seven seconds. Okay, let's see if we got audio. The technical difficulties are something else today. Hello there, you guys. Um, my name is Jeff, and I was a former devout follower of Jesus, meaning to say that I used to be Christian. And I am interested in a lot of subjects, a few among which in particular are theology and philosophy. I was a former Reformed Baptist, one who held to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. I was a former seminary student, a former preacher, and a conference speaker on a lot of theological subjects, one who had memorized the Apostles' Creed, Athanasian Creed, Chalcedonian Creed. I have read Calvin's Institutes cover to cover, one who had confessed the five points of the Reformation and the five points of Calvinism. Um, I was also a 1689 Federalist in my hermeneutic orientation. You know, hermeneutics, the way you read your Bible and how to systematize that. And a former presuppositionalist in my apologetic approach back when I used to defend the Christian faith. Now, most of my friends who personally know me may perhaps are already aware of my recent renunciation of the Christian faith, which I used to cherish very deeply. And I am fully aware that my recent coming out as quote-unquote apostate has deeply saddened many of these friends, or at the very least, made them feel concerned, if not just merely disappointed. In fact, some of these people have already personally expressed their withdrawal of their friendship with me, which I understand is a normative protocol for them in keeping with the biblical command to treat those whom the church has excommunicated as you would a pagan and tax collector, meaning to say you don't associate with them anymore. Not necessarily disdain them or bash them, but to make them feel alone, as it were, in hopes that eventually they would come to realize 
their need for the Christian fellowship and hopefully seek restoration. And I get that. Now, if you're such one of my close friends or close Christian friends who is currently feeling concerned towards me, and sincerely so, well, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate that. However, I am absolutely fine, and I want to assure you that I couldn't be any happier and freer. So I'm okay. You don't have to worry. If you are such one who feels saddened about my departure from the faith that I once cherished and defended with all my heart, then I am sorry to disappoint. I am just, you know, trying to be true to myself and to what I have resolved would be a better path for my life. Okay. On the uh, other yeah, you might skip to 524. He says some things that I really think would be important for people to hear, but you see what he's doing, uh-huh. right? He's He's got all this background, right. all this knowledge, all this... Um, this former commitment. Uh-huh. Um, he used to defend the faith. He said he said he used to cherish this faith, and now he's leaving. All right. Now, what he says in this this next section from five twenty four to uh, seven forty seven is, I think, really telling of what this looks like. Okay. All right. Now, there's a there's a little bit of language. PG thirteen. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he says something maybe once or twice. But it's PG thirteen. Does he say a naughty word? He does say a naughty word. Huh. Um, Let's not pretend everybody on here doesn't watch Marvel movies. That's right. Yeah, nothing that you haven't heard in a Marvel movie for yeah. sure. Or John Wayne. John, I don't know. John Wayne never say cuss words. I have no idea. It's funny that you went from Marvel movies to John Wayne, though. Well, I was trying to think like, what's an old school like movie where they probably said a few curse words? Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah. For sure. Oh yeah. All right. Let's hear it. All right. Five five twenty four to seven forty seven. On another note, some of you guys may be, some of you guys might be um, wondering that since I am no longer Christian, then what do I consider myself am at this point? How do I categorize myself? Have I become a full blown atheist? someone who is firmly convinced that God doesn't exist? Have I become an agnostic, someone who suspends judgment on whether God exists until an irrefutable evidence um, comes up to prove that he does? Have I become a deist, a nihilist, or what? Um, Well, to tell you guys honestly, my worldview has just undergone or is undergoing a philosophical uh, deconstruction having come out of the Christian persuasion of or Christian view of things so I am still at a turning point meaning that I am so far no longer persuaded that the Christian worldview is as absolutely true as I thought it was on on presuppositional and philosophical grounds and that's it at least for now. My deconstruction is still in progress. So my mind isn't so far made up in absolute terms. At least not yet. Um, maybe I feel like one who's one who used to live in a hellish house 
Then one day I decided to burn it down and now I am trying to survey some other houses um, to decide where I could settle at afresh. Currently, um, what I truly enjoy and what excites me is the regaining of my control over my own life. I am my own Lord and Savior, defining what sort of happiness I would pursue and creating a meaning and purpose for my own life. And here's the thing, there's no turning back. Sorry. Unless, of course, your Christian God were to someday graciously lift the divine hardening that is upon my heart. But I don't see that shit coming up anytime soon. There you yeah. go. Um, yep, would I turn it. out yeah. military? Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah, I think I, that's what that's what we're talking about here. I, I, so I, I think for people that are struggling with Hebrews chapter six, mm -hmm. I think that that's a good example of what is going on in the passage. Right. It's not an accidental sin. It's not it's not just some random. I mean, we all struggle with sin. Mm -hmm. It's not some random sin that you struggle with. It's that. Right. And he says some things that are really <laughs> really telling yeah, they, in that video. Very, very telling, yeah. yeah. Um he he likes the idea of um self creation, uh self determination. Mm -hmm. Um he's the master of his own fate now. He's his own he Lord and Savior. He's his own Lord and Savior. Yeah. He's creating his own destiny. Mm -hmm. Um you know, he's he's like uh if Minecraft were reality. He's Minecraft. You know what I mean? And well, I mean, he used, he used that. I'm going to burn. I burn my house down. down. I'm going to see what other house I fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And and what was most interesting, at, I, I caught it this time. I, I don't know if I'd caught it before. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. There's That's no turning exactly back. what he said. Yeah. There's no turning back. Unless God does and something. He, and he accidentally said something about uh, that I thought was strange. He said, unless God removes this divine hardening. Right. Why would he use that language, right? If he doesn't believe in the Scott anymore, uh -huh. that right. he's under a divine hardening. Yeah, I think he let it slip. I think that was a little, a little slippage yeah. of the truth that popped out there. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted, I wanted to show that because it's um, here's a guy who is uh, he he claims to have been reformed, a reformed Baptist, uh, and he's deliberately walking away from the faith and so i thought it would be good for um our audience to to hear that and then number three what is the what's the warning of what's the consequence going to be and, it, and the consequence is that you're it's impossible for you to gain repentance mm -hmm. so this is where the arminians they, go, they, they fudge go, on it a little yeah, bit they just shut their eyes and uh -huh. <laughs> skip to the next verse <laughs> Right, right. Because uh, that doesn't fit in with their uh, system. Either. I I have, I have a friend from seminary. He grew up Nazarene, mm -hmm. and he said that he felt like he lost his salvation all the time. Like every week, he was having to go forward mm -hmm. and accept accept Christ again. Right. Um, now he's Reformed Baptist now, so he's <laughs> so he's he's not doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you're right. Even in that that denomination, they're not reading this this passage in its entirety. Mm -hmm. Like it's that it's it's interesting. the The description is sandwiched in between the warning. 
the first word of of the Greek is impossible. Mm-hmm. It it's not if Calvin brings it up, he says it's not difficult, it's not rare. He says impossible. Impossible. Mm-hmm. Impossible journey. So, okay, so then um why is it Im- impossible? Why is it irreversible? Um, again, you see it at the end of verse six because they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, and they're holding him up to contempt. Mm. Um, so there's there's different ways in which even reformed commentaries are trying to deal with this. I think the the most likely is that. Um, you are putting yourself in the place of those who crucified Jesus. Mm. So, one, God God could be hardening you, or two, you could, and, and it's, it's kind of the same coin, different sides of the same coin, you don't, you're not going to come back because you don't want to. So you're, you're hardened against it also because okay. you're standing in the place of crucifying Christ, uh-huh. which in the, in the context of this book, the once for all sacrifice of Christ to to be said to to crucify Jesus again is I mean this is the this is the most blasphemous thing that you can do. Right. Right. Yeah, you I like one thing you said that they have become I don't know if you said it exactly like this, but this is how I wrote it. They have become a Judas. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've they're in the they're in the shoes of Judas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you see how Judas he lived he lived three years under Jesus's teaching. He was privy to the most intimate conversations. He saw Jesus's miracles. Professed to be a believer. He professed to be a believer. He was sent out to preach the gospel. He probably even performed miracles when mm-hmm. Jesus sent out the twelve. Mm-hmm. And then he he denies Jesus. And does he come back? No. No. He doesn't come back. And he it, doesn't it, come back. When, when preaching through John, it was very interesting to get to that section to um, compare and contrast Peter and Judas, because Peter denies Christ. Right. Um, So in a way, he does what Judas did, but Peter finds repentance. And the only difference between the two of them is what? Jesus prays for him. Is Jesus. That's it. Now, And I think that we can take comfort in the fact that Peter is restored. uh Um, So obviously he didn't do this, right? Well, that's what... But also, that's, that's one thing to to bring out, yeah. Because there have been people that have struggled in their faith, and maybe even they may even have said, you know, I don't know if I even believe any of this, yeah. and they they run away, yeah, and they get into a life of sin or something, and but then they return, and when they return, they maybe even find that they're they have a faith they never even was stronger than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter is like that, but in doing that, what the person shows. I think you brought it out, is that they haven't committed this sin. Right. Yeah, I like Calvin. He has a long quote about the impossibility of them coming back, and he said this This is to—it um, just flies in the face of people that think that they can make a deathbed conversion, mm-hmm. and then they come to the time of death, and they find— They can't. They can't, right? We've, we, I didn't bring this up in the sermon, but we've talked about this before. You, you don't know— what state you're going to be in when you come to your your death? Mm-hmm. Um, we we've started doing a ministry over at the nursing home. There are people there who have had strokes. They have Alzheimer's. Um, they're they're not 
in their mental capacity that they had when they were mm-hmm. 30, 40, 50, right? Um, to say that you're going to be um, fully able to think clearly when you come to your time of death is to take God's grace for granted. Mm-hmm. But after, after uh, Calvin says that, um, all about the impossibility of coming back. He says, but when, when anyone rises up again after falling, we may hence conclude that he had not been guilty of defection, however grievously he may have sinned. That's good. So it is impossible. Mm-hmm. But whenever we see someone come back, we, hence, we can assume they haven't done this. Right, right. Yeah, that's good. And I, I think that... Again, I, I, we want to feel the weight of it. We want to feel the weight of the warning lest we do it. But at the same time, we can take comfort in knowing that this is a deliberate sin that um, even if you, like you said, come to a place where you're questioning whether you're even a Christian, mm-hmm. that's probably not even this. Right. Right. Um, okay, what does this have to do with verses 5, 11 through 6, 3 in the whole context? And we kind of hinted at it, mm-hmm. the whole idea of pressing on to maturity. Right, yeah. Um, and it gets the, back to your statement of the theme. Right. The, the, the problem is that they are, they've grown lazy. They've mm-hmm. grown sluggish, dull of hearing. And when they do that, relaying <laughs> the foundation over and over and over again, never going deeper, they're, they're always right on the the edge of right. of defecting. Yeah. So the person that has a a profession of faith that it means that they're just shallow in their faith, they never move on from the basics, these elementary doctrines which he talks about. The the temperature gets turned up mm-hmm. high. Yep. You're going to lose your you're losing your job, yep. you're losing your family, your family's disowning you. And we may even come after you to kill you. Yeah. The person that is shallow will defect. Yeah. To save their own skin. Right. You brought that up, and I think history bears that out. Yes. Yeah. Several of the commentaries said that not only the Bible but experience shows mm-hmm. this to be true. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we we looked at those videos on free for all mm-hmm. of you know Avengers and. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, Lion King, Toy Story, right. Back to the Future. That's that's a shallow Christianity. Right. That's a shallow Christianity that um, puts on a show, Back to the Future, and has Marty McFly um, mm-hmm. in the place of Jesus, or them crucifying Jack Sparrow, and he's supposed to stand in for Jesus. Right. That's a shallow Christianity. Right. Um, I didn't look into it, but I can imagine that when the Canadian government was saying you got to be shut down for COVID, yeah, and um, or we'll arrest your pastor, yeah, I can imagine Church on the Rock was, oh yeah, was they not, weren't was not open they for were business. Not, they were not meeting. <laughs> you don't even have to look it up. You yeah. already know, <laughs> right? This this shallow. What he's warning against, like so. Because you can alleviate, like all the pressure, right. go back to Judaism, mm-hmm. whatever. And even as it, as, it, as it got even more intense when the Romans would get involved, because they would recognize Judaism, not Christianity, Yeah, um, you would have people leave to 
to yeah. not be hey, persecuted. You, know, you remember you remember the things that he said are the elementary doctrines, right. you know, faith uh, turn, turning away from dead works and and faith towards God and and washings and laying on of hands and um, resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment mm-hmm. and how we we talked about how you hold all these things and and still practice Judaism. Right. Like all of those are are fundamental tenets of Judaism also. It's it's not it's not unique to Christianity. Mm-hmm. The question is not turning away from dead works and turning in faith and repentance towards God, but it, through who? Right. Th- through what means? Is it through animal sacrifices and and the Levitical priest, or is it through Christ? Mm-hmm. That's the that's the real question. And there they become so dull of hearing about Christ because of the cares of the world. Yeah, that. Oh, they're starting to think, and you see it through. Maybe the, I could go back. You see it through the Protestant Reformation too, right? Yeah, they uh, the Catholics come to your town and they yeah. erect uh, the pyres in the mm-hmm. in the city in the city square, right? And they come banging on the door and they say, uh, "Denounce, right? Denounce your beliefs and become a Catholic, or we're going to tie you to that pole and light you on fire." Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of people did. They're like, oh, whatever. It's not that big of a difference between uh, right. Catholicism and, and what we believe. Mm-hmm. We'll just be Catholics. We can still have Christ, and you know, we'll just do Eucharist and all that. And then you had those Protestant heroes that say, no, we salvation by faith alone and Christ alone, and right. light the fires, and I'm gonna sing a hymn, and while you can watch me burn. Yeah, we've talked about it on here before, uh, probably a year, year and a half ago, of uh, these Protestants that were put to death for their view of the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Like what Christian today in in America? Is there a single is there a single Christian in Lawton, Oklahoma that would say I'm I'm willing to be put to death for my view of the Lord's Supper? I hope so. Well I hope so too. <laughs> but the point the yeah, point is the point is clear. Um the the laziness, the dullness, the immaturity and shallow faith, a lot of Christians don't even know what their view is of the Lord's Supper. Uh-huh. Or why? Um, what I mean, night of unity. What's the you know what's the difference between us taking the Lord's Supper in a Baptist church and them taking the Lord's Supper at a Catholic church? They may have a little bit of difference, but it's the same thing. Yeah, we have the same religion. We just go at it at different ways. Yeah, yeah. And so. that that kind of faith is is sure to fall. Well, I think I think you see this in our world. And we don't have full blown like physical persecution, but we have emotional persecution, uh, isolation. We have um, uh, defamation, slander. It can it can build on someone. And you know the god of this age is LGBTQ movement in America, and they're in the they're in the majority. They're not in the minority. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of the uh, people that are deconstructing their faith. They're younger. It seems that they're younger, yeah. you know, 20s through 40s. And it seems like they've just got weary mm-hmm. of the culture war. Yeah. Um, and they're caving. They're just giving in. They're like, I'm just tired of, I'm, you know, they say I'm on the wrong side of history, and maybe I am. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, it, it contributes to this defection that you're right. seeing. And that's, I mean, because you're not seeing them deconstruct and becoming like a hardcore Muslim. <laughs> right? Are you? You're not, because yeah. because you know they. That wasn't one of the options that he threw out in that video. No, it was atheism, agnosticism, well, deism. It wasn't. It wasn't Islam. 
<laughs> right, because you know the 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 old school in the Islamic faith, they they aren't really on that side of the LGBTQ movement, right? Either, yeah, <laughs> right. So you see, the defection is toward an open, broad view of making your own destiny, mm-hmm. uh, creating a truth that's true for you, and as long as it doesn't physically harm anybody else, then it's just as valid as anybody's anybody else's. And so I think what you see is um, the shallowness. It's manifesting in mass deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Yep. There, there are some, a few that would, in the deconstruction movement, that would say, "All right, I am, un, I am dismantling some of the healthy things from how I grew up in Christianity to try to discover a more healthy form of Christianity." Right. That's the very, very small minority. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you, you may have experienced something like that. I think even a lot of people in our church have gone through that. They're saying, right. I grew up this way, and I went through a deconstruction of that, and I discovered a deeper form of Christianity. Right. But that's not usually what's being talked about. Right. It's usually toward full-blown defection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're in um, an unhealthy church, and you're hearing shallow, topical sermons, um, you know, uh, decisionism, um, bad bad worship music, things like that, uh, bad leadership, and you're reading your Bible and you're seeing what it's supposed to be like, uh-huh. and you're grow you're you're seeing oh there's a difference between what's being practiced at my church and what I'm seeing in the scriptures, and you're quote unquote deconstructing to more closely align with scripture. Right. That's good. Right. Um, that's what the reformers were doing. Yeah. Right. Um, you're not trying to, you're not abandoning Christianity. You're trying to get back to authentic, healthy Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. What we're seeing is um, people that for whatever reason, this guy, he, uh, he, in his video, we skipped over part of it. He, he alludes to some things that were going on in his life. He's alluding to people like slandering him and, and things. I don't know what exactly went into his deconstructing, but he did say, I no longer find it, um, presuppositionally or philosophically, um, convincing. Mm -hmm. Notice he didn't say biblical, biblically convincing, Right, right. right? He didn't, he didn't say anything about, um, the Bible. Um, but yeah, there there is a, a healthy way to de. I don't even want to call it deconstruct. I, I think it's just I think it's well, just I think it's just reformation. Yeah, it's or ref- or revival. Even that's I the, mean that's the term that we would use would be reformation. Reformation or or, or or revival would be the terms that I would yeah. use. Um, yeah. But that's that's good. We ought to always be reforming. But you can see, you know, I can see how it could happen. Right. Like, uh, you just get weary of mm. being in the minority right. and being pounded with the, you're a bigot, mm. you're self-righteous, um, all of the stuff. Uh, and people can, that can weigh on them, and they say it's easier to give in and to just go. And yeah, and it may, it, it may just be, you know, an over a long period of time type thing, but it's happened a lot. In the, and in, I think a lot of it is the... Um, the homosexual transgender stuff that's going on i think that is what is is kind of driving it uh-huh. um 
I mean, we talked about the problem of evil and suffering. I mean, I, that's an issue for some people, but I think for kind of the wide, mm-hmm. the wide area in our culture, is they're they're leaving Christianity because it just doesn't coincide with. I mean, you have to have eyes wide open. We are we are being indoctrinated. We we are being so so engulfed in the homosexual and transgender stuff that we're 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 they're trying to train us that this is normal mm-hmm. because it's everywhere. Did you see the the cereal? Uh, no, I didn't. The, see I don't know if it's Kellogg's or what. They had like rainbow. I don't have like the rainbow, the house. rainbow, <laughs> the rainbow box, and it was uh, like everything. Everything is pushing this, and they're trying. They're not to, messing with me, Lucky Charms, are they're they? Trying. I don't know, Jay. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but they're pushing it in everything so that, um, if not you, your children will think, "Well, this is just this is just normal." Yeah, it's everywhere. Um, and so when you're when you you come up against scriptures teaching on it. Something's got to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all over. It's it's full blown. It's like the biggest psyop ever performed in history. Yeah, yeah. Organized by the beast out of the sea. We'll we'll display that. That's my term. That not free for all Friday. <laughs> Surprise for you. Yeah, it's uh, it's everywhere, man. You know, it, it, you just gotta you've got to go on past. The basics. Mm. I was thinking about this this um, this past week with like like Brooke. Um, she's in like AP English class and stuff, you know. And they got they're like, hey, here's this big list of twenty things you can write an argumentative essay on. And Brooke goes up to the teacher. She's like, well, I don't see abortion on here. And she was like, eh, I guess I'll let you do it, Brooke. Unless I'll let I'll let you do it, but you know, you know, people in class aren't gonna like it. She's like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> and so, of course, the class, the whole class, is like, yeah. of course, Brooke, of course, you would pick abortion. Yeah. We live in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, everyone in the hey, class, this is the most pro life. Hey, this is the most pro life state, Jay. But the class is annoyed that she gets to pick this. Yeah, she's fixing to rock their world, though. I can tell you that. <laughs> they, so if you're listening and your kids go to school with my kids, your kid's brain is about to get turned inside out. Because Brooke is like a lawyer. That's her gift, man. She will argue a point, <laughs> and she will make you believe you hold the wrong point. Yeah, she's good at it. Plus, she has the truth on her side. That always helps. Mm. So, fair warning. Bomb about to go off in AP English <laughs> class in Cash, Oklahoma. <laughs> so, yeah, but put yourself in her shoes, right? The way the culture's turned. I think about it. Pray for her. You should pray for your kids. It's not going to get any easy for her. Mm-hmm. And she's she's ex- she's experienced it, you know, it, it's a little bit now, but a little bit over a long period of time mm-hmm. can wear you down. Yeah. But that's why she can't stay in the basics and the milk and the ABCs. Right. She's got to go on to pursue maturity. And and that's why these warnings are so important. Mm-hmm. We need to believe the warnings. The, the temptation is to try to make the warnings say something that they're not saying. And in doing so we're harming ourselves because God knows better than us. Mm-hmm. He knows what we need. Um, 
and believers need to heed the warnings right. just like they would heed the label of bleach mm-hmm. and not mix it with their coffee in the morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Do we even have time? We don't need to go through these seven conclusions. I think we hit them all, right? So let's go through them real quick. It's yeah. written for Christians. Uh-huh. The warning is real. Right. The warning is against apostasy. Um, th- this is not descriptive. I think that's maybe something that's important to br- yeah. briefly touch on. Right. He's not telling you, I'm writing about this people this has happened to. Yeah, it's really interesting is as you go through the passage, verses uh, 511 through 6-3, he writes in the, mm-hmm. the first or second person, we, you. Then he gets to the warning in verses 4 through 8, and all of a sudden it's third person. Right. It becomes very generalized. Right. The one who has once been enlightened, those who have tasted the heavenly gift. And then in verse nine, he jumps back to he jumps back to we and you again. Right. So he's not he's not he doesn't have anyone in particular in mind that's done this. Right. He's not saying, um, look at this guy. Right. <laughs> like he's done it. It's not descriptive, it's preventative. Yeah, he's trying good. to prevent you from doing it. That's the whole point of a warning. Like a warning is proactive; it's not reactive. Yeah, it's almost. He's, like, he's not trying to say you guys have done it, so here, let me bash you over the head. You're gone. He's trying to say you're in danger. Yeah, yeah. So don't do this. I'm trying to prevent you from from destroying your faith. Yeah, that's right. Not not descriptive. It's like hey, even uh, even I was thinking about this. Even um, when Jesus is talking to the the religious leaders and they're they're seeing his his signs, and he says every sin against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Even then, he doesn't seem to be saying you've just done it. Mm-hmm. He he seems to be indicating you're right. You're right there. You need to reconsider what you're saying. Right. Um, and I think that's important for us to understand. Like, I mean, there are Pharisees that become Christians, right? Um, so there, even then, it seems to be preventative rather than descriptive. That's the whole point of a warning. It's flashing red lights right. that are saying, "Don't do this." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at Jesus's words in in John fifteen um, about abide in me. The person who doesn't abide in me and bear fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. Mm-hmm. He's talking to the disciples, mm-hmm. right? Um, he's he's not describing them; he's trying to prevent them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. All right. Um, number six. Oh, five. number five. Number five. five. Yeah. It's a means of grace to the Christian. We talked about this before. It's a way that God keeps us to the end. Mm-hmm. A Christian's not going to get close to the edge. Uh, right. you, you said that. That's that's like, hey, it's the warning sign at the Grand Canyon. Yeah. If you fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon, you're gonna die. If you if you go this if you pass this this spot, yeah, there is a, a danger of rocks falling and you sliding down and you're dead. And you're dead. So the wise person doesn't creep forward. Let's see how far I can go. So the Christian reads the warning. Uh-huh. This warning, which is very stern, what does the Christian do? Fears and obeys. <laughs> yeah. Like if, if this warning makes you nervous and makes you fear this happening, then it's doing its job in your life. It's right. it's that's the effect that he's trying to get across. He's not trying he's not writing in such a way that Christians 
can just shrug their shoulders and say, eh, he's once, a, once all, right, bo- safe. all right, boomer. <laughs> like, all right, you're exaggerating. He's he is writing in such a way that they might fear lest yeah. this happen. He's right. going to he's I mean, this is not the last warning. And I don't even think it's the the most harsh. I think the, the harshest one is is coming later. Um, but these are this is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to instill the fear of God into you. Uh-huh. And a lot of Christians need that because we we are in a culture that is Christianized. Uh-huh. We got people that have grown up in church. They it's just part of their routine. They just habitually go to church, but there's no fear of God. Uh-huh. They're not fearing. Well, I've gone to church. Check that off the list, and then I'll go and um, tell dirty jokes at work. Right. Um, I'll I'll go. Just live like the world, watch whatever, listen to whatever, do whatever, um, not crack my Bible throughout the week, never evangelize. Basically, I'm a Christian for a couple of hours on Sunday morning. The rest of the time, I'm not. There's no fear of God. They need to hear this warning, and they need to think, oh, this could happen to me. I, I, uh-huh. need, to, I need to repent, and I need to press on into maturity. Uh-huh. That's, that's the whole point of the warning. Right. And this is the this is the reform position. Like this is not this is not George's unique new interpretation. Like this is the this is what the reformers held to. This is what our Baptist forefathers held to. I've got this great quote from Spurgeon. Like he this is what this is how they viewed the warning passages. And these are all people that believed in the perseverance of the saints. They're the way that God keeps you. These are the way that it's, God keeps it's you. It's that simple. Yeah. This is one of the ways God works in your life. Yeah. It's not a magical, I said a prayer 20 years ago, so I'm safe forever. It's I'm obeying <laughs> you know, constantly. I, I'm obeying. I'm clinging to Christ. I'm trusting yeah. in him. I'm looking to him. I'm, I'm fleeing from sin. I am avoiding um, you know, leaving the faith. I'm striving toward maturity. And in those means, God keeps you. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just got to sit down with your kids and have a real, you know, honest conversation with them. Say, hey, I noticed this is going on. You know, um, if you continue to do this, these are the type of things that can ha- will happen. Um, and then it can serve, and, and it, may, it may not even be like something bad or something wrong, right? It may just be some type of behavior. Like say they have some goal that they have, and you say, hey, like, if you keep doing this, like you're not going to make it. You're not going to reach your goal. Mm-hmm. You've got to press on, yeah. And then, like your talk becomes a thing. It's like a wake up call. They're like, "Oh, right. you're right. Like I got to get motivated here." Right. It, this is that. Yeah. God, it's like God telling you, "Press on." Yeah. You've got to keep going. Right. And th- and when God does that, you read it. The Christian goes, "All right, let's get after it." That's right. Yeah. It, because it's God's grace to you, mm-hmm. and it's not just you doing it in your own strength. You have the power of the Spirit who uh-huh. is he's enabling you to obey. There are other types of belief, though, that will read this warning and not care. Right. That, that's, I think, people—this this is where the confusion maybe does arise. You say the warning does not contradict other passages, and I agree 100%. Yeah. It does not right. um, contradict other passages. We could present to you a mountain— <laughs> right of those which speak about yeah there was no way to reference even a handful of them yeah. i mean there there's so many there yeah john 6 john 10 i mean they're everywhere romans 8 uh, romans 8 
I mean, they're just they're all throughout the whole Bible, even in in Revelation, and, even in Hebrews, mm-hmm. he talks about Christ securing an eternal salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that is for his people, right? It, it it's it's all over the place. Yeah, Jesus clear as day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will raise them up on the last day. All the Father gives to me will come to me. I will raise them up on the last day. They're all going to make it. Uh, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand, and that would include you. You can't. You're I not mean, strong enough. Even going back to even going back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, that that He will see the travail of His soul and be satisfied. Okay. He will see the people for whom He's died, and He'll be satisfied. He won't lose anybody for whom He has suffered. That's right. But then people say, "But I've seen it," mm. and so that's what we have to grapple with. They'll right. say. I've seen people like the this guy we show. Uh-huh. He was a Reformed Baptist. He said he was a seminary student. He was even a preacher. Um, so I've seen I've seen people apostatize and leave the faith. Mm. So how does this not contradict those passages? Here's one thing that I thought of. I think it's it's pretty clear. There is a type of belief, even a professed belief, that it could sometimes even be called faith or the same terms could be even used for belief, belief, faith. Jesus, in John chapter 2, there's a group of people in Jerusalem at the Passover, and they believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. The text says they believe in Jesus. Right. That's even in, uh, what, chapter Uh 8? He starts speaking to those who believed Uh in him. Right. And by the end, they pick up they stone. Don't. They yeah, pick up right. stones to stone yeah. him. Right? They don't believe. Right. Uh, and, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to him because he knew it was in a man. He mm-hmm. knows this belief that they have is strictly in his sign and wonder-working miracles. Right. That's it. They, they they don't actually have a real, authentic faith in Christ. There are people filled in churches that know all the right doctrine that have a form of belief. That is not a saving faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. When the pressure gets turned up, or society comes, or temptation arises, they get sifted. Right. God sifts them out of the church like chaff. Yeah. And you see this in the parable of the four soils. Mm-hmm. You've got the one who the seed falls on the ground and the birds come and take it away. They they don't even it just it's the person that hears the gospel and just doesn't believe it. Right. But then there's the person who receives it, but is on shallow ground. Mm -hmm. The seed lands on the rock. It sprouts up, but when trials come, it it wilts, it burns away, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have deep roots. Mm -hmm. It's not mature. Then there's the one that it falls among the thorns. It grows up, but it gets choked by the thorns. The cares of the world. So the cares of the world... um, the pleasures of the world, its fruit gets choked out because it's not mature. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, these are not believers. Right? They may, they may receive the word, they may join the church, they may profess faith in Christ, but um, the these things that happen in their lives reveal what kind of soil they are. Yeah. And then there's the 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 seed that falls on the good ground and it produces fruit. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, one is um, there, there are false believers. And even in this passage, he's talking to them. He's assuming that they're Christians. Mm-hmm. 
right? And I think that's that's what we do. Uh-huh. Like we look out at the congregation, and we take people's professions we take their of profession faith. of faith seriously. At, yeah, right. You you say you're a Christian. We're going to hold you to that. If you fall away, if you abandon the faith, maybe you weren't a Christian in the first place. Maybe you were a false believer. But I think the the other thing that we need to understand, and that's that's First John. They right. went out from us because they were never a part of us. That's what I was getting ready to to bring. Right. Up. Um, but the second one is, and I think we need to be really careful about this, is that we do not know the end of people's lives. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Like someone may fall away, um, and then fifteen years later they come back. Right. We don't know. We don't. Know we may not happen. even see that. Um, we have to be really careful that we're not trying to be the um, apostasy police, right? And saying, "Oh well, this person he uh, claimed to be a Christian, and all these descriptions seem to match him, and he can and never come back. He can never come back. He's renounced the faith, and he never come back." We don't know. I mean, he's not he's not here teaching us to like examine people's hearts. He's simply warning people. Right. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to the people in our congregation, but the warning has gone out. Mm-hmm. Heed the warning. Heed the warning. Right. Um, and then the seventh uh, observation. I think you call them observations. Conclu- conclusions. Conclusions. Yeah. yeah. Is that this? This is here to spur to kind of spurn us on to maturity. Right. Yeah. So to don't. So. Keep growing in your faith. Right. Yeah. I use the illustration of um, like four to five people die falling off of cruise ships off the coast of Florida every year. Mm-hmm. If you expand that to worldwide, it's it's even more. Like this is despite the railing, the the safety precautions that um, the cruise lines take, and so the the people that fall over and if you fall over, you're you're pretty much dead. Um, it's either intentional, they commit suicide, mm-hmm. or they get drunk and they mess around and fall over. Mm-hmm. S- same thing. Same thing with, right. with Christianity, with your faith. The guardrail is here, and it is high enough to keep you safe. You're not going to accidentally fall off. You're not going to accidentally fall off unless if you're, you if unless you, you're drunk. if you uh, if you don't deliberately do it, and if you're not careless. Yeah. And I think a lot of Christians they need that warning against carelessness. Mm-hmm. Don't be careless and don't be lazy in your faith because the dangers abound. Right. You've got your own sinful nature to deal with, um, but you also have the world, the world's influence, the world's pressures. Mm-hmm. Don't be careless in your Christianity lest you fall overboard. Very this good. is the this is the guardrail. Mm-hmm. Obey it. That's good. All right. Thanks, George. Very good. Hopefully that clears some stuff up. I guess if you still have questions, maybe drop them in there. Drop, drop yeah. some comments, uh-huh. and yep. see if we can bring it up next time. And maybe uh, maybe questions will maybe be answered a little bit more next week because he does. I mean, he doesn't stop. This, right. this is not this uh, again. This this has to be understood in the context of where it is and also in, in the context of the book mm-hmm. and he doesn't he doesn't stop he keeps going verse 9 should clear up some things 
but in order for the the warning to pack the punch that it needed to stop at verse eight. Yeah. Right. But we'll we'll keep going next week. And right. uh, it there is there is encouragement and hope. It's not all doom and gloom. How many more weeks weeks do you have until your break? Uh, I'm I've got three more. Three left. Planned. Three left. Uh, and there's going to be the encouragement. There's going to be the the hope, and then we'll he'll pick up Melchizedek again mm-hmm. in chapter seven. Okay, good. Right. And then we'll get into our summer summer preaching schedule. Yep. All right, good stuff. Thank you, George. Appreciate it. Got a little editing to do. Uh, you guys won't hear it by the time <laughs> it comes it. out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I no, I'm going to cut it cut it all out. So all right. we had some malfunctions. But yeah. thanks for tuning in today. Hopefully, this has been beneficial to you in understanding the Bible. It's our hope and our desire that you would have a better understanding of the Bible through going through Text Driven Tuesday. And hopefully, it helps you to become more and more conformed to Christ. Come back for free for all Friday. See you next time.